Hello everyone and Namaskar. Today's discourse is titled, A Guide to Human Conduct, and this is Part 3. The establishment of an ideal society depends on the mutual help of the members and their cooperative behavior. This cooperative behavior depends on the practice of the principles of Yama and Yama. So, spiritual practices, especially the practice of Yama and Yama, are the sound foundation of an ideal society. It is often noticed that individuals incur debt because of their violating the principles of yama niyama, especially due to their extravagance, and as a result, they approach the society for relief. In this connection, I must point out that just as the society is duty-bound to give relief to individuals by combined efforts, so also it must have control over the conduct of individuals, over their practice of the principles of yama niyama and also over their expenditure. Not to consult anybody at the time of spending money, but to ask for help from all when in debt is not a good practice. Such a mentality cannot be encouraged. To purchase by incurring debt, surge where tweed will do, or gabardine where surge will do, is surely against the principle of a parigraha. Similarly, people should take food which is nutritious but not rich. They have to give up the practice of feeding others with money taken on loan. That is why social control over the individual's conduct and expenditure is indispensably necessary. Hence, all Ananda Margis, when they see other Margis acting against the principles of Yama Niyama, must make them shun this habit either by sweet or harsh words, or by dealing even more strictly. Thus, they will have to make the society strong. Henceforth, I direct every Anandamargi to keep strict vigilance on other Anandamargis, to make them practice the principles of Yama Niyama, and also to accept calmly directions of other Margis in this connection. I am also giving one more advice in regard to Aparigraha. If Anandamargis have to spend on anything in addition to the fixed expenditure, for example, expensive clothing, ornaments, articles of furniture, marriage, building, etc., they should, before incurring such expenditure, obtain a clear order from their acharya, unit secretary, or district secretary, or any other person of responsible rank. Similarly, permission is to be obtained before taking loan from any businessman or moneylender. Where one's own acharya or any person of responsible rank is not easily available, Consultation or rather permission is to be obtained from any other acharya, tattvika, or any right-thinking member of the marga. Every member should follow this instruction strictly. Niyama Sadhana The initial phase of the yogika cult is the practice of yama. This has already been explained. Today's discourse will be on the practice of niyama. The practice of brahmacharya is held in higher esteem than the other four items of yama. Similarly, in Niyama, the most important item is Ishwara Pranidhana. To be clear and concrete, we may say that out of the ten principles of Yama Niyama, the remaining eight are subordinated parts of the two items, Brahmacharya and Ishwara Pranidhana. While dealing with their specialties, we may say that Yama Sadhana is the practice of the physical and psychic strata, while the Niyama Sadhana carries equal weight in mundane, supermundane, and spiritual strata. Saucha. The first aspect of Niyama Sadhana 
is saocha. It means purity or cleanliness. It can be subdivided into two parts, one relating to the external sphere, i.e. external cleanliness, and the other to mental sphere, i.e. internal cleanliness. Shao chantu diwibidang praktang bahya ma vyantar rantata mrija la vyang smritang bayang manashudista tantaram. The proper use of soap, water, or other cleansers to keep the body, clothes, or surroundings clean is external cleanliness. By this cleanliness, the physical objects with which people are directly associated are cleaned and made fit for use. When people driven by instincts direct their mental stuff blindly towards the objects of pleasure without taking any help from their conscience, or when mind ultimately gets crudified by being constantly goaded by selfish motives, whether or not they think of doing harm to the others, their minds get distorted. The complexes by which this distortion occurs are the dirts of the mind. For example, if any acquaintance suddenly earns much name, fame, or knowledge, many will develop a feeling of jealousy towards him. People suffer from mental trouble at the prosperity of others. They do not give the least thought as to how much potentiality they themselves possess to earn those things or to acquire those qualities. Though that fortunate person did no harm to them, yet being overpowered by jealousy, they create trouble for or think ill of him or her. Where selfish interest is hampered, the minds of even the so-called honest people also become distorted within a very short time. Just as one's clothes and houses get dirty very quickly in a dust storm, so also the mind becomes much more polluted by the storm of even insignificant passion in much less time. Therefore, it is a necessity to maintain the cleanliness of body, dress, and house, but the need to keep the mind clean is still greater. Cleansing the mind is a far more laborious job than cleansing the body, clothes, house, etc. Intelligent people should not, therefore, allow their mental purity to be stained. You must always guard against a tempest of passion. You must not yield to such storms. One more difference between external and internal cleanliness is that to remove external dirt while cleansing the body, clothes, or houses, one has to come in contact with impurities for some time. But in the mental sphere, the cleansing process does not require you coming in contact with any filth. The application of forces necessary to remove impurities, whether internal or external, by the application of force, the identity of the original object has to be revealed after removing its impurities. The weight of the actual gold can be determined only by removing the impurities from the gold. The application of force must be a special type of action. External saocha is an external activity, and mental saocha is an internal activity. If the impurity of selfishness, which, by entering into every cavity of the mental body, makes it weak, makes life a heavy burden, it has to be removed, it has to be burnt, and melted in the fire of sadhana. Such sadhana is just the opposite of mean and selfish sadhana. It is such that no impurity, no black spot, remains in the mind. The feeling of selflessness, the feeling of universalism, is the only remedy to remove mental impurities. People who have fascination or temptation for any material object can gradually remove that mental pollution arising out of selfish motives by adopting just a reverse course. 
Those who are very greedy for money should form the habit of charity, and they can serve humanity through such a practice. Those who are angry or egoistic should cultivate the habit of being polite, and they should serve humanity through that practice. Therefore, only selfless service to humanity and the efforts to look upon the world with a cosmic outlook alone can lead to establishment in mental saocha. Human beings' desire to acquire things from others knows no bounds. Their hopes are never quenched, but their spirit of giving to others is very meager. Generally, when people do give something to others, the intention of charity or service is absolutely secondary. Their predominant feeling is to receive something in exchange. In other words, they have extreme greed to garner fame by one hand and give charity by the other. A sadaka will have to adopt the opposite course to get rid of the burning flames of greed. He, she, will have to develop an infinite desire to give to others with no intention at all of obtaining anything from them. You will have to establish yourselves in the realm of infinity by smashing the fetters of unit ego. You must have seen many people who become angry and sorrowful at the time of his distress saying, I helped those persons in their adversity, served them so much on their sickbed, but today they are so ungrateful that they do not even cast a glance at me. They may even curse. God is witnessing everything. They will have to reap the consequences of their actions. You know that such remarks are an extremely vulgar expression of mental meanness. Such persons have not done sadhana for mental purification, nor have they truly served anybody in adversity or sickness. In fact, they took advantage of other people's distress and gave them some assistance as an advance. But the motive behind such assistance was to recover it with full interest. A question may be raised as to how much people should donate for Saocha Sadhana. Should they make paupers of themselves? Where service is the goal, people should fully observe a parigraha, acquiring only the bare necessities of life for themselves and their direct dependents, without which they cannot live, and utilize the rest for the collective welfare of the universe. But one who is dedicated to an ideal must be prepared to gladly and eagerly give up one's all, even one's life, for the collective interest. Even in a house where food is not abundant, you should keep something for the residents of the house to appease their hunger and donate the rest to the needy. In this case, thinking of the residents' necessities is not narrowness or meanness, because the preservation of life is certainly very important, though not the ultimate aim. When one is fighting for an ideal, however, to accept defeats means to plunge in severe gloom. Where there is not the least possibility to remove the gloom, one will have to sacrifice everything to uphold one's ideal. You should always be ready like an armed soldier to meet such exigencies. Santosha. Tosha means the state of mental ease. Santosha, therefore, means the state of proper ease. Contentment is not at all possible if the individual is running after carnal pleasures, like a beast. As a result of extroversial analysis, the objects of enjoyment go on increasing both in number and abstraction, and that is why one's mental flow never gets any rest. Under such circumstances, how can one attain perfect peace of mind? Achieving the desired objects may give one pleasure for an hour or so, but that will not last long. The mind will again run in pursuit of new objects, leaving behind the objects already tasted. The long-cherished objects will lose their importance. 
This is the rule. This is the law of nature. Human desire knows no end. Millionaires want to become multimillionaires because they are not satisfied with their million. Ask the millionaires if they are happy with their money. They will say, where is the money? I am somehow pulling on. This answer indicates their ignorance of a parigraha. But such feelings have another adverse effect on body and mind. Out of excessive fondness for physical or mental pleasures, people become mad to earn money and amass wealth. As money becomes the be-all and end-all of life, the mind gets crudified. Constant hankering after money results in negligence of one's health, and this makes the body unfit. Therefore, Santosha Sadhana lies in being contented with the earnings of normal labor, without any undue pressure on the body and mind. To remain contented, one has to make a special type of mental effort to keep aloof from external allurements. You are aware that there are two effective methods to detach the mind from tendencies. One is auto-suggestion and the other outer suggestion. If anyone always tries to think thoughts just opposite to the mean tendencies which occupy the mind, a change in one's nature is bound to occur. This is auto-suggestion. A change in one's nature is also brought about if such ideals are repeatedly conveyed to one's ears by some external agents. This is called auto-suggestion. In the case of Santosha Sadhana, the aspirant must always follow auto-suggestion. Santosha Sadhana does not imply that you should allow yourself to be exploited or oppressed by someone who takes advantage of your simplicity and you should tolerate it silently. It is by no means proper for you to give up your right of self-preservation or your legitimate dues in life. You have to go on fighting with concerted efforts for the establishment of your rights, but you must never violate the principle of Santosha by wasting your physical and mental energy under the sway of excessive greed. Thank you.